0: Hey, this is Donald Copeland, former Seton Hall Pirate, current assistant coach at Wagner College, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates.
1: just west of the Ward Place Gate, From San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Dizzieri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates.
2: Good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing great, Tommy. Big day in Pirate Nation. Miles Powell is back. The 2019-2020 season is on the horizon, and there are great things to be expected what a
1: fun day to be a Pirate. It is an absolute spectacular day. Miles is coming back. Our expectations are going to be high again. I'm excited about another reason, Mike. Our guest today, I am through the roof over this.
2: Well, our guest today was part of a team where the expectations were probably just as high back when he was playing. So, and I don't think we've had a top 10 expectation for a team in probably the last 25 years. So this is kind of cool to have our guest today come on and join us, ironically, as Miles puts Seton Hall into that upper echelon of a preseason top 15 type program.
1: You know, Mike, I could do the tail of the tape like I normally do, but it would take way too long but he was a four-time state New Jersey basketball champion and a 1989 National High School champ at St. Anthony's in Jersey City, a two-time All-Big East performer and 1992-93 Big East Defensive Player of the Year. He helped lead the Pirates to three consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, reaching to lead eight in 1991. Finished his career with over a 1,000 points and 600 rebounds. And now does tremendous work in the community, giving back to the children of Jersey City through his foundation, Team Walker. Welcome to <clears throat> Left Coast Pirates Live. Pirate great Jerry Walker. Jerry, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Thanks for coming on, Jerry. So, pretty big news yesterday in the Pirates world. Uh, Miles Powell decided to come back to South Orange for his senior season. Your thoughts on that
0: decision? Well, I thought it was a good one for him. Um, You know, I talked to some of the scouts, and they're still a little skeptical on his ability uh, to to create the dribble. So he's going to play a little bit more point guard this year. That's going to really elevate his game because I thought he did a tremendous job this year uh, playing off the dribble. I mean, he got to the rim a lot. Um, we just excited for him to come back. And plus, man, uh, he get his degree, too. And, and he got his eyes set on trying to break Terry DeHair's record, too. I think he got somewhere like 900-something points. He said he can do it. I said, man, that's a lot of points in one year. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, um, he, he got his eyes set on that, that um, uh, to break that record.
2: Well, we're excited, too, and it's it's kind of amazing how we as fans, we sit here on the edge of our seat kind of waiting to hear who's leaving, who's coming to the program. You know, it's kind of a highly anticipated decision. But speaking of highly anticipated decisions, your St. Anthony's team of 1989 had so many guys that were deciding where they were going to go to play D1 ball. So we want to kind of yep. dive into that and talk about that sp- uh,
1: historical team. Jerry, tell us about your experience growing up with that team. I mean, you guys won four state championships. You saw a lot of players go through there. What was it like?
0: Well, it was a tremendous experience for me. I, I You know, you know, St. Andy's is not for everybody. You got to be a tough, tough kid to go there and understand the rigorous process that Coach Early is going to push you through. So St. Andy's, it was a it was a great situation for me, um given the fact that my mom, single parent and, you know, Coach Hurley played like a father figure in my life and um he just you know, my mom gave him comp blanche over me and, 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 you know, whatever she you know he would say I would have to do. So um the program was excellent. We had a lot of talent. Um, you know, I was fortunate at St Anthony's to be uh, the only freshman to start every game, uh, at St. Anthony's on a varsity level. So I, I saw a lot of people come and go. And, you know, so I, I was a, I'm a staple of that, that, that program. Obviously, St. Anthony's closed right now, which is a terrible thing. I, you know, it's something that, um, you know, is such a big part of my life. And, it's just, it's just, I'm just sad that to, to see that, that that school's not around anymore.
1: And, and just for some uh, historical clarification, that '89 team potentially is the best high school team that ever played. Man, thirty-two and O that year, they won the newly formed Tournament of Champions. You won by yep. an average of twenty-eight points, and uh, something like five or six different guys went to D one schools
0: that year. '89, um, actually, Don Magazine about six, seven summers ago. Um, called our team the best high school team of our country's history, not just the state of New Jersey. Uh, So that was a contribute to, to, you know, how much talent and how much hard work and and commitment we had there. Parochial B wasn't as strong as the public school league. So everybody would say, oh, St. Andy's keep winning because, um, you know, Parochial B is not that strong. And that's one of the reasons why the state decided to, you know, formulate the tournament of champions in the '89. Uh, year we played Elizabeth in the tournament, champions in the finals, and I'm the first tournament champion MVP. And and uh, we beat Elizabeth. We beat everybody that year. Uh, you know, we beat um, the number one two team, Holly Lakes out, out of Florida, down in Florida, um, by like 20 points. You know, it was you know, so we we you know that team was such a great team. And I think one of the things that people don't understand our defense. You know, it was times where teams didn't even score in the first first quarter. And I, you know, it, it was a tribute to Coach Hurley and his philosophy, and we played such great team defense that we fed off our defense. We got a lot of dunks off our defense, and and that's what kind of like got us going. It was the defensive end.
2: Tommy actually made me uh, watch a little YouTube clip of the St. Anthony's Elizabeth game that you were alluding to, and
1: I, I fa- no, no no Mike's got it wrong. We found a YouTube clip of the St. Anthony's Elizabeth from from uh, St. Peter's. Oh, and, that's right. And okay. You guys, yep. And you guys really didn't do anything too exciting on offense, but just like you said, you started turning on that defense, turning on that press, and all of a sudden, the points came in bunches.
0: That's, that's right, like, and that's, that's how we, we would score. Me. I would say, if we average 60, 70 points, i said we we got 50% off our defense.
1: Jerry, when did schools start looking at you?
0: Well, I mean, it was it was early as my, my freshman year. I won um, MVP uh, in a state championship my freshman year. You know, you know a lot of I got to tell you, um, you know, St. Anthony's High School. My my career there was a little bit different than 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 Seton Hall. Although I had success at Seton Hall, but I was way more explosive. Um, you know, obviously I set out my freshman year that, and at the time uh, the Proposition Forty Eight rules was totally different. And I remember John Thompson even um, protesting against it because it wasn't fair. They just, you know, they administrated it. And then they said to, you know, the stipulations was like, you couldn't work out. You couldn't do anything, you know. So it was a risk for Seton Hall to even take a chance on me because if I didn't do well in the classroom, the whole athletic program could be on probation. So for the first two weeks of my, my career at Seton Hall, man, I I didn't go to school. They were still, the Board of Regents was going back and forth. Whether to let me in or not, it was a, it was a terrible time for me. I was very depressed, um, so I, I'll never forget that. That's why education is so important to me. Um, so I, you know, Saint Anthony's was was a, definitely a great experience, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything.
2: Besides Seton Hall, though, Jerry, was there anybody else that was hotly recruiting you?
0: My first letter, my first letter was from Louisville with Denny Crum. When I um Purvis, Purvis Ellison, I think his name was. He won MVP. I, I was thinking about going to Louisville because me and him shared something in common. He won MVP that year in the, in the NCAA um, as a freshman, if you recall. And Denny Crum sent me a letter. And then from there, from my freshman year, because, you know, after my, I was actually the second best eighth grader in the country at, at that time. You know, I was a phenom. I averaged like 38 points, 20 rebounds, 10 blocks in grammar school. And Kenny Anderson was number one. And I remember Kenny Anderson being on a David Letterman show, and they mentioned my name. And all the way up until my sophomore year, I was number two. And then all of a sudden Shaquille O'Neal and all these type of people came out of the woodwork. But um, I, I was heavily recruited from everybody, um, from all the ACC, um, Big East. But, I, you know, I let it be known that I wanted to go to the Big East because of my style of play. And I just, you know, that whole when Georgetown and Villanova and St. John's in the Final Four and that whole game, you know, that it did something to me, and I, and I thought that would be a better fit for my style of play to go to the big East.
2: At Louisville though, they were a big time program back then. They won the national yes, title in nineteen eighty, followed it up c six Correct. years later with another title. I mean, that's a it's a pretty big program to turn down.
0: Correct. So that and, and that's my that's my point. I so uh, I was really interested in that uh because of their success at the time. And like I said, Purvis um Ellison, he he was a um, never nervous purvis, they called him he won MVP as a freshman. So we had a lot in common. I was like, oh, man, I might go there because, you know, me and this young gentleman have something in common. But once again, once I got a little bit older and mature and knew that, you know, I love the Big East and wanted to be in the metropolitan um, scene in terms of my basketball career, um, that was a determined factor for me because I just love the Big East basketball.
1: Now, you mentioned Nova, so I've got to ask the question. Uh, In the book, The Miracle of St. Anthony's, Adrian Rojanowski brings up a Roly Massimino urban legend. Can you tell us yeah. your side of that story?
0: Well, it's true. The story is true. I, I remember um, my home visits would be at Coach Hurley House. And at the time, uh, we was thinking about going, all of us going to um, Villanova, a package deal. And Darren Sereno was going to be the uh, beneficial of that. Um, Darren Serino, he's now the assistant coach, the head assistant coach over at UCLA. He was at um, uh, Cincinnati for a while. Uh, he played, you know, high school basketball with us. And what happened was they was going to give him a scholarship, too. But um, Bobby had went down to uh, Duke and decided to go to Duke. So Willie Massimino and him came to the home visit. And if you know anything about Jersey City, we've got this place called where Bobby and him grew up, Country Village. It was like a maze. So it was hard to get to their house. So we kind of like drove over there, me and Bobby, to pick him up on the, high school, on, on, on the highway. And Royley Massimino didn't say anything to Bobby, like, at all. Like, he had, like, his attitude or whatever. So Bobby came in and said, you know, co- you know told his father, like, Royley Massimino didn't even speak. And during the process of the um the interview with, with the team, uh, the assistant coach was doing all the, the talking. And I was like, um, you know, and I knew the drill. I've been through it or whatever. And most of the time, you know, the, the head coach would try to pitch and try to get you to come to the school. And Royley Massimino didn't say anything, Holly. And I, and I posed a question to him. I said, um... You know, Coach, you don't have anything to say. And, and right away, Coach Hurley went from zero to ten. Like, listen, <laughs> you have <laughs> he said, you have five minutes to get out of my front room before I knock your A out. <laughs> 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 so we had like, we was ready to rumble in the jungle with them, man. And <laughs> so Coach Hurley out. That's a true story, well, man. I was, I was reading the book, and
2: they story. were like dragging Mark Raleigh Masmino into the car.
0: Yeah, that was a true story, man.
1: I put my money on Bob Hurley Sr., though.
0: Oh, 100%. I, my money is definitely on social. <laughs>
2: so So part of that story you mentioned that Bobby had already made his decision to go to Duke. How surprising was yep. it that he made that decision? Because you alluded to it, there was some kind of package deal that you guys were considering, whether it's Nova, Seton Hall, you know, Bobby going to Duke kind of in the in the history of all this was kind of surprising as the stories are retold.
0: Oh, absolutely surprising. And when it happened, you know, Bobby. You know, him and Coach Hurley had had you know a, a tough relationship, if you will. I Bobby told me that he just wanted to get the hell away, um, and, and try to find his own identity. You know, because Coach Hurley was so tough on him uh, that he just wanted to get away. Uh, he didn't want he didn't want his father to just, just drive in a car because you know Coach Hurley jump in a car, drive three hours to see a basketball game, and come back. Uh, so it was nothing for him to just go down to Philly and. And, and say, Bobby, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. So that's why he kind of, like, you know, uh, went to Duke. That's what he told me. So, but plus, he, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, class act. Um, he went to one of the games. The, the student body down there really embraced him, and it was a great fit for him.
1: Now, so you end up going to Seton Hall, and you almost went from one tough coach, at least externally, to another tough coach in P.J. You know, from the outside, yeah. they, they kind of look like, they're the same kind of guy. How would you compare the two?
0: That's a good question. I, You know, I would say you know Coach Hurley was a little bit tougher because it was this one way with Coach Hurley. You know, P.J. would look, he would socialize with us a little bit more, you know, take us to dinner, and he would crack some jokes with us. You know, there was no cracking jokes with Coach Hurley. He was just one way and, and his way or the highway. So I, I would say that uh, and the restrictions in college basketball, you know, they had the rules where you could only practice a certain amount of time and all that sort of stuff. And I, I can recall in high school, and I one particular dance, um, it was a Friday night, and we was having a, a dance, White Eagle Hall, and we was having um, a party there. And Coach Hurley knew it. And he knew we wanted to get out and, and go to this party. And we was up at St. Peter's College. And, and the custodian work, I remember it, the custodian works at Coach Hurley, all you have to do is shut the door, the alarm will automatically come on. You can have the gym as long as you want. I was like, oh, my God. So we wound up getting out of practice from like uh, from like 5 o'clock. Uh, we went from 5 to about like 10. And then, <laughs> and then by the time we went home, got shot. We only had like 40 minutes to go to the party, and a lot of us didn't even go. And so, yeah, he Coach Hill would practice us, man. I, it would be – yeah, he was a little bit tougher. And I remember coming in when we took over the number one ranking, uh, USA Today, and um, Coach Hurley coming in. We, we was coming into practice. Uh, we was all excited feeling good about ourselves. Uh, we came in and he put up the paper. He started talking. He always liked talking before practice starts um, to go over what we're going to do, strategy and all that. And he put up, he put the paper up and said, you see this, guys? You see this paper? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't know if I can cuss on this program, but he said, <laughs> I'm going to wipe my aid with you. Okay. That's what it's going to, because it don't mean, hey, it don't mean anything. It don't mean it don't mean shit, in other words. So <laughs> so we was all like looking at him like, oh, my God, we're the number one team and it don't mean anything? <laughs> so he has the, the ability to keep us humble and keep us hungry. I would say Coach was was a little bit tabbed, you know, tough. P.J. was tough too, though.
2: Well, it sounds like both of them prepared you for what came next because your first season in Big E's play – it was pretty challenging. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, it was. It was, and um, and, and like I said, I, I remember um, doing like inner squad, and I remember hurting my wrist and not being in tough. You know, so it was tough. But once again, coming from the St. Andy system, man, I, I, I was just so fundamentally sound, and I and I knew my role there, and, and I was always a team guy. So I, my my number one thing was to have success, and whatever I had to do um, to do that, that's what I would do. You know, a lot of times I played out of position. Because I played like three, four for St. Anthony's in a lot of, a lot of situations. So when I went to Seton Hall, I played four, or five. So and that, that wasn't, that wasn't something that was going to help me get to the next level because I was an undersized power forward at the time. Uh, so um, yeah, that, that, that was yeah. Seton Hall, my game. That's why I tell people my game at St. Anthony's probably was a little bit more because I was above the rim at St. Anthony's. And, and at Seton Hall, I was just getting to the rim, you know. <laughs> so what it is is. All these guys that was on these teams, I wasn't afraid of because I played against them um, in camp, you know, whether it's Five Star or Nike All-American camp. Uh, so I played against these guys and they knew I was a tough cookie and they, you know, I didn't take any any nonsense from anyone. So I had a certain level of respect even coming into college basketball. Like, don't play around with Jerry Walker because he don't play.
1: Well, you you definitely held your own with some of these big guys. I mean, you're about six, seven and you ended up beating Georgetown two out of three times that season. And Georgetown, people yeah. might not remember, they had Dikembe Mutombo and Alonso on the same squad.
0: Yes, yes, two seven-footers, man, <laughs> two seven-footers. And look, and I and I always pride myself playing against guys that was bigger than me. You know, I was a, I was a smart player. Coach Hurley actually on a fan some years ago. Um, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog, they was really pushing them. They were saying, like, you know, who, who was your best team? And coach was like, you know, I really don't like doing that. I really don't like doing that because all my, you know, my guys are so competitive amongst each other. Everybody thought that, you know, every every team thinks that they're the best. And they was like pushing and push. They say, all right, coach, who's your best player? He said, oh, I really don't like doing that neither. And, but they pushed him and pushed him. They said, look, there's 20 million people. Listen, coach, what's, what's you know, you got to give us an answer. So he said, you know, if I had to put one player name to the best player, I would say Jerry Walker because he was such a student in the game. Like I knew everybody's position. I knew where everybody needed to be. Um, so my basketball IQ was highly, highly intelligent. So
2: So Tom alluded to the fact that you beat Georgetown twice that year. The second actually came in yep. the Big East title game at Madison Square Garden. Describe the euphoria or the experience of winning the Big East title in the, in the Mecca basketball.
0: Oh, man, that was a wonderful experience, man. We was battling. You know, me, Anthony, amen We we had our you know, our, our hands full uh, with the Kim Bay uh, morning, but – once again, I, I played the game uh, with a level of intelligence. And I knew that if I would put my forearm and back Alonzo Mourning back, because he was like one of these wild type of players. He like he, he relied a lot on his athletic ability. And I knew if I would push him away from the box, I would have better success. Uh, and that's what I did. I played him with, with angles. And I pushed him. And me and Anthony, we had such a good chemistry on help side defense that it really made up for my height. You know, Avery was 6'9". Uh, and and I was only 6'7", but uh, once again, our chemistry was there because, you know, me and Anthony Abram, we played um, roadrunners, AAU basketball together, so we kind of knew each other and how we would move in terms of our defensive play. So that really helped me, too, just having kids from the hometown. That's why we had the remedy of success at t Hall because we kept the kids home, and we, you know, all of us were like from New Jersey, Um, and we knew each other, and we played against each other. We played on the same AAU, so our chemistry was there, and that's what helped us in the Big East. And and and, and them battles was, was real brutal, but we came out on top.
1: Well, the battles got you ready. In that NCAA tournament, you guys made it to the Elite Eight uh, before losing to the defending champs, the running Rebels. Now, that was a hell of a team, yeah. man. They were 34-0 and after beating you guys. How talented were they? I mean, how crazy were they on the court?
0: Oh, man, they were super talented. Um, At that year, they was blowing teams out. And I can recall we was only leading – um, we was well. We was in the rear about four or five points going into halftime, and we played them really well. But you know that's another team that was very underrated when it when it came to their defense. At certain points, we couldn't get our offense started. Stacy Walkman and all they had great a great defensive team. You know a lot of people talk about the offense, but that defense you know was 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 tremendous, and they they had ball pressure with Greg Anthony. It, it, you know they had a great defensive team, and they had like seven. Uh, first round draft picks on that team, uh, but in the other thing too, you know, I was 19 years old. Larry Johnson was 25, so I don't know how uh, you know they I, <laughs> you know, I somehow, you know, to ask about that. somehow got him to play. But he was 25 years old. I was 19 year old kid. You know,
1: <laughs> he was grandmama and grandpapa at the same time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yes, I've he was. Heard. I
0: mean, he had the first name. He had the perfect name going into the the NBA. That's why you know, Larry. They, <laughs> he didn't have a long career. His back was hurt. He was already he was already <laughs> almost 30 about got there. And I remember, you know, my I came home. It was one particular play where me and Larry Johnson was on on the baseline mixing it up and I wound up falling over the cheerleaders. And my, my friends they clowned me for years about that, but I came back, I posted him up and got an N1. You know, I didn't back down from him, like I said. And it was it was it was a little difficult playing him because, you know, I was so used to playing guys that were so much taller than me. I was taller than Larry Johnson. So it was like it was like a weird thing for me to play this guy that, you know, he he was real versatile too. He could you know he could hit the three. He could take it off the dribble. Uh, so he was he was he was pretty good man he really was. All
2: right, so your second season with the Pirates, you guys were co Big East regular season champs. You lost in the Sweet yep. Sixteen to once again the eventual back-to-back champions in Duke. Uh, but did that loss hurt just a little bit more because Bobby was playing on the other side?
0: Yeah, we wanted to get that one, and I, and I think you know one thing that people don't really talk about. I think you know Coach PJ he he um he kind of played into the media on that one. You know, I was trying to give him a little strategy. I was like, look, we want to post Brian Cable up. Brian could take Bobby down low. We could clear it out and let's let's change up our philosophy a little bit. But he was so convinced that, you know, his systems work, whatever, so he didn't listen to me. And then he played into the media with that Danny Hurley, um, you know, Bobby Hurley matchup. Danny was at the time averaging like fifteen minutes, sixteen minutes. Then he wound up playing like almost thirty, like twenty-seven minutes that game, uh, and and like that wasn't his real role. So we kind of like played into the media with on that one, and and yeah, it, it was a bit of sweet because you know it was bragging rights. We come back, play White Eagle Hall, and all that sort of stuff. So we really wanted to get that victory, but we we played them pretty decently, and they wound up one, you know, winning a national championship, But we can hang our head on it. Uh, the two teams we lost to won a national championship, so.
2: So, are you saying if PJ
1: followed Coach Jerry Walker's philosophy, you guys beat Duke that day?
0: A hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I like it. I like
1: it. Now, Jerry, your senior year happened to be actually my freshman year, and that possibly was the most talented Seton Hall basketball team ever put together. Correct. you guys start off at preseason sixth in the national polls, you finish sixth after the Big East tournament, and you did something that no Seton Hall team has done before or after. You won the regular season title and you won the tournament title. What what stands out yep. from that season?
0: What really stand out? I mean, that Western Kentucky game stand out to me because we we was to a number two seed. Um, a lot of people thought we should have been number one. I think I thought we peaked too early. I mean, we we beat Syracuse in the Big East. Um championship by the largest margin. I think we beat them almost by like thirty points. It was a blizzard that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. and and when we we got past this um uh, the one team we played in the first round and we we faced um, western Kentucky. And one thing that people don't know, um Wayne, I forget Wayne last name, but Wayne, was a manager at Seton Hall University, and he was an assistant coach on Western Kentucky. And they knew our plays in and out. We, You know, and we took it for granted. You know, I remember being in our, our shoot-around, and we wasn't really, like, focusing. We was kind of, like, joking. And that's what I mean, the difference between Coach Hurley and P.J. Like, we would have never been joking if it was Coach Hurley. So we kind of, like, overlooked this team, and, and we started playing into their strength. We started, like, going up and down, and, you know, P.J. was playing – like a smaller lineup instead of playing a bigger lineup, um, and you know he set Luther most of the game, and and it was like you know we, we played into their strength. You know I remember Bell that little point guard. This guy was just flying past um, Brian Caver, and it was this it was this we we just played into the hand. And then once the crowd got into another you know, crowd, you know, and normally in the NCAA they go with the underdog. We wasn't we wasn't the underdog. Obviously we was. Pick to go to the final four and everybody polls um that year and and we wound up looking past them and, and i I, and I would say that was the the, the the biggest upset of the tournament that year because we had like florida state we had all these teams that would have made my career a little bit better uh because you know we had like um doug edwards on florida State. i used to play against him in high school i would i would feed doug up i was waiting to play him <laughs> because i was still like people were still trying to figure out if i could play on that next level so that was a big loss for me personally um, uh, for my, you know, going to my MBA uh, chances, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think we overlooked them. And I think um, with Wayne and them knowing our system, we couldn't get stuff started. They was overplaying. You know, it was it was it was a bad night. But that year was a tremendous year for us. Um, PJ actually said that that was the most talented team he ever coached. Although he went to the Final Four with the '89 team, but he always said that we had more talent than the '89 team.
2: So you're right. Mark Mark Bell was the the 5'8 point guard for Western Kentucky that year. He was a he was a little spitball, right? And he hit some big shots down oh, the stretch. Hit, hit a three. He was all over the place grabbing rebounds.
0: Oh, over. we we didn't see anything like him. I mean, he was so fast and quick and gets to the hole and he was strong. Like, he absorbed contact and everything.
2: But what I noticed from that game is exactly what you said. Seton Hall had 21 turnovers that day, and it seemed like you played into their up and down 40 minutes of uh, pressing and trapping. They, they kind of sped you guys up and took you out of your half court, kind of grinded out, playing the, the low post type setup.
0: Yeah, and, and look, we only averaged um, that year 10 turnovers. You know, we, we one of the things that coach would do, like if we had more than 10 turnovers, that results into like five suicides per turnover <laughs> so we we, we we yeah we really took care of the ball um and 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 like you said we had 21 turnovers that was that was something that we didn't do and, and what it was they knew our offense brian couldn't and then, then the guy was so much shorter brian you know brian's six five i mean six five and, and bell was like five eight and he was just like but he he couldn't brian couldn't back him down and that's another thing pj kept in his kept to his system if he would have like made some adjustments and say, Look, we're gonna post fine up, do some you know, creative things. I think we have had a better a better chance of winning. But well, he just kept our, with our his Torres system. Torres
2: got a lot of foul trouble that day. He got two quick ones in the That's first it. half. He got two offensive yep. fouls early in the second half and he, he never got into the flow of the game at all. And I thought that was a he big
0: never, component Yes, he never got into the flow of the game. Artie, um, you know, the referees really slowed his momentum down. Um he got involved mostly with the refs. He he couldn't you know, mentally, you know you know, eighty-five percent in basketball is mental. Like right? once you lose your head, that's it, and and that's what kind of happened to all Artie. And and you know that was something that that he never, you know, he didn't experience that through the year by getting flustered with the referees or et cetera. But he he that was a big big part of us losing because he couldn't never get into the flow because he was he was such a big part of our team.
1: Now now before we continue on let's not think that that season was all a big disappointment because there were some fabulous things that happened I mean you sold out the oh, mainlands yeah. on three separate occasions uh, I keep joking around that we had twelve thousand fans watching a Tuesday night game against Fairfield for crying out loud people were coming people loved this team
0: yes yes and 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 I, I mean I remember the meadowlands being sold out and and I, I also remember when we – one of the best college basketball games uh, I, was, I was involved with, we actually lost the game. We played North Carolina. Uh, and that was a great college game. It was on CBS. Uh, it was a packed house. Uh, I can remember it. And, 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 you know, we said to ourselves that, you know, we meet this team again, we, 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 we could beat this team. You know, we wound up losing like two points or something like that at the end. Uh, so that was – I mean, it was a great season. We won regular season outright, biggies outright. Um and I and I would tell, you know, Angel Del and um I you know, I told them that when they won a big East tournament, I said, Guys, that's great. But guess what? I won it twice. Okay? So what if we gotta catch Y'all yeah, gotta win it, win it again, okay? So That's what I told him. So, L-
1: little it anecdote, was a great run though. Little anecdote from that UNC game, you caused Dean Smith to lose his mind. You tracked down, I, I think it was George Lynch on a fast break, okay, and threw his shot into like the fifth row. And yes, I, don't I know, did. Dane Smith lost his mind. He got teed up. It was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought I, he thought I fouled him, but I don't know what he was looking at because. I caught him, and me and George Lewis had a lot of battles. Um, and he, at, at the end of my career, he was ranked a little bit higher than me. And I didn't think that, you know, that was right. You know, because I used to battle against him in high school and everything else. And me and him had this, like, this personal thing going on. So I, I made it my business. And when I saw him get that breakaway... I tracked them down and I put it in third row.
2: <laughs> I got to ask you this: so, so going back to the Big East title that game that year, you are correct. You guys beat Syracuse by thirty, which still stands as the largest margin victory in a Big East tournament title game. Did you realize that prior to that victory? In Seton Hall's Big East experience against Syracuse, that the or the program was three and twenty-six, and you had two of those wins in your first two years with the program. Correct. How crazy is it that Syracuse had your number or had Seton Hall's number as a program like that?
0: Absolutely, they beat Seton Hall for twenty years straight, and I, I didn't know why, I didn't. I didn't know the reason why. You know, Coach PJ Collison was such good friends with Behan, because I wouldn't have been his friend. He beat me for twenty years straight. I, I would have been. I had a little animosity towards you, but they were good friends. And my team was the first team to beat Syracuse. And I remember that game at the Meadowlands, the, the um, student body stormed the court. It, you know, it was, we got the monkey off our back because we was like, I said, no, we're going to change this. I'm not, you know, I'm not into losing. So we're going to beat Syracuse while I was here. That was one of my goals. Uh, you know, I looked at the statistics and I saw that we never beat Syracuse. I was like, we never beat this team? So I, that, that was like a pride game for me. Um, and that, that was that was, that was was one of the highlights of my career, beating them. All
2: right, so I got one more question for that season because I think it kind of parallels similar to what Seton Hall is going through right now with Miles Powell. I mean, Terry was All-American that year. He was that good. He was projected yep. to be in the NBA lottery. Was there ever a thought that Terry might not come back for that specific season?
0: No, nah, we, we, we made a pact, me and Terry, um, going to Seton Hall, and, and I talked to him about it. I know there was a lot of interest in him being on the next level and then plus terry had some goals terry wanted to be all-time big east leading scorer the all-time Seton hall leading scorer similar to what miles powell is going to right now um and we we said you know if we come back man we could really win a national championship we thought that way we had enough talent in in every position we had a deep team we had a tall team uh so we 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 felt like we could win a national championship and, and terry felt like if we do win a national championship, he could be a lot lottery pick.
2: So as you transition, you talked about possibly playing for a state in the Sweet 16, enhance your NBA opportunity to kind of get scouted at a higher level. Obviously, that didn't play right. out to fruition, but you did go on in your playing career to play professionally in Europe. You had some stops in France, Spain, Sweden. Talk to me about being a Jersey City kid who stayed close to home and now all of a sudden you find your career taking you to a completely different continent.
0: Yeah, man, that, that that was a real experience for me. Um, you know, it, it was a big cultural shock for me. And I can recall some, I, I recall being in Turkey. And, you know, I come from a religious background. My mom is a pastor, et cetera. But I, I remember um, playing in Turkey and we was playing Turkey and soccer. Well, they call it football over there. We was playing, Turkey was playing um, France at the time. And France was number one in, 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 in football, soccer. Um, and, and I remember them. Having like, um, it was a tie score. So I was in, I was, I remember being on the phone with my mom and I, I didn't know what was going on. And I started hearing all these gunshots, da, 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 da. So I'm like, I was, I started praying on the phone with my mother. I'm like, what the hell's going on? It's civil war. It's civil war going on. I don't know what's going on here. They shooting, they shooting. Then one of my teammates called me up and said, Jetty, Jetty, you going out? you going out? I said, going out? I'm not going anywhere. they shooting out there. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. they shooting man. They shoot because they tie score uh, with the soccer. We going out to party. I said, well, I don't party like that, guys, so I'll see y'all tomorrow <laughs> because I'm not going out there. because you hear gunshots to me coming from the city, you know, it's, normally that, that's a bad situation. But uh, So they celebrate, they celebrate a little bit different than what we do over here in America. But it was, oh. it was good to experience um, different cultures, eat different foods, and see how other people, you know, live. And one of the things I tell kids in my nonprofit, Team Walker, I said, you know, you guys don't know how fortunate you have because, you know, the kids over in Europe and stuff that's poor, they don't have these social services. They don't have the projects. They don't have all that sort of stuff that we have. And, you know, America is truly the land of the free and it's, it's like it's truly um, a, a country that you can could, you could have a lot of opportunity. Uh, and, I, and I try to express that to my students at Team Walker.
2: We had uh, Donald Copeland on previously, and we asked about his European or professional experience, and I asked him what his favorite stop was, and he specifically said France. France was one of your stops. Do you put that at the top of the list as well, or do you have a personal preference for a different location?
0: Well, I, I would say I would say Sweden. Uh, you know, France, in terms of basketball, was good, um, but in terms of socializing— I would say Sweden, you know, Sweden, they didn't go through the war. So they didn't have to, they didn't have to, you know, do rebuilding. And plus their second language was English. So socializing over there uh, was pretty good. And then, you know, at the time I was single, you know, they had beautiful women over there. I mean, it was, it was a good time. Uh, So uh, Sweden, I would say socially was, was the best. But in terms of uh, basketball, I would say, I would say, I I would say Spain. You know, I played um, with Rense over in Spain and I got, got a chance to play against, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sabonis, I remember playing against Sabonis and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And then plus in Spain, uh, you had three, you have three Americans on your team in Spain, whereas though everywhere else you only have two. So um, that was a good experience in terms of basketball and socially, I would say Sweden.
1: Well, Jerry, you know, service seems to be like your true calling between the political endeavors you've tried and the nonprofit ventures. I mean, you ran for mayor of Jersey City in 2013, you were elected freeholder in two thousand seventeen. Do you have any further ambitions in politics in the future? Yeah, I
0: do. I, I you know do not I d I don't I'm not one of these guys that's gonna sit in one position for thirty years. I, I believe that, you know, you should try to move up or get out. Um and, and, and you know, I'm set now with the county government and, and one of my, my, my goals and dreams is to be the county executive one day. Um, you know, Tom the is doing a great job for us right now. Uh, he's a, you know, Jersey city guy and this would be his, his last term. And, and that seat, uh, in Hudson County, we know, they're known as, you know, uh, that's the Jersey city seat is is what they would say. So I'm sitting in a good position right now to do that. Um, and that's where I got my eyes on right now. Uh, the mayorship, you know, he could do that, but you know, I'll be a lot like my late great, um, uh, uh, mayor, his name was Glenn Cunningham. You know, he wound up dying on the job. So, because he was so emotionally involved. You know, our, our Mayor Phillip, um, you know, he's not from Jersey City, so we won't have the same connection. I will. I Like, if if a kid gets shot or killed in the city, most likely I know his family, you know, so it'll probably affect me a little bit more. So I would rather, you know, you know do county politics and I could govern over all 12 cities uh, and try to bring the cities together and try to make, you know, Hudson County the best place to live.
2: So that kind of takes me to your work with Team Walker and being staying close to home in Jersey City. So for those who may not know, you and your brother Jasper founded Team Walker back in 1996, promotes inner-city youth with innovative after-school and summer programs that teach sports, academics, and life skills. You guys have, you know, assisted more than 400 children daily, anywhere between the ages of yep. 8 to 18. Uh, you know, said to basically... Be the most important purpose is in providing constructive alternatives to negative influence in the inner city. Tell us about this chapter yep. of life. You know what was the inspiration that brought Team Walker to life?
0: Oh uh, man, like this this sort of work been in my family now uh, for seventy five years. My my grandfather's name was James Pop Curry. Um, he managed to do social service work, having sixteen kids of his own. He was a little bit better than me. Uh, my mom was one of one of sixteen. Um, you know, I, I, come from a big family, you know, I have about 123 cousins. I don't even know some of their names, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So it was something that, that, that's in my blood. It's something that I, I was around. Um, you know, my mother, she was like the, the drill team, uh, coach where we participate in all the, you know, all the parades, which we do that still. Um, you know, my grandpa would send kids to, you know, camp overnight camp provided with uh, you know social service, which we do that still. Um, so it's, it's stuff that I grew up around. I've been doing it now for 25 years, me and my brother. And and look, man, I you know there's a lot of other opportunities that I could get. I, I, I could be coaching up at Seton Hall or doing something like that. You know, my my um my colleagues, you know, Bobby and Danny and Dan and Serena, all these guys. You know, they're making a lot of money. But I think what I'm doing is way more important than than uh, making money. I think you know saving lives to me. Is everything and it's self gratifying, and I, and I always tell people, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, God is smiling down on me, uh, my my grandfather, and hopefully I get get into heaven one day, and, and and that's what that's what my heart is at, and 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 that's why I love doing what I do. I love coming to work every day, trying to make a difference in my community.
2: So every time I read about Team Walker, or I get a chance to uh, you know see you speak. Uh, on public broadcast television, you're always highlighting the three Ds. Talk about that and what they mean to you.
0: Yeah, so the three, the three Ds is dedication, determination, and discipline. And we believe with the kids and the youth uh, of Jersey City apply them three things to their life, you know they will have some success. And I and I drill that into them. You know, we 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 talk about it. Um, you know, we every time we dismiss, they say it. So I just want them to, to have it in their soul that you know if we would do these three things. Uh, all the obstacles in front of you, all the odds against you, you can overcome anything with them three words, dedication, determination, and discipline. And we believe in that. And we also believe in it's cool to be smart. So that's what we're about. Uh, We're making a strong difference. To date, we have 123 college graduates. Um, This year, uh, we had six kids graduate. Uh, We got one young lady in particular, Diamond Thompson, uh, Tom, excuse me, she just graduated from Montclair. She's going right into um, her master's program, and she's the first, you know, graduate from her family. Um, her mom is super thrilled. Um, and, and she was in our program since she was like seven years old. So we just, we just love them sort of stories that we can hang our hat to and, and know that we pitched in to, to make this kid, uh, develop into the, to be a mild citizen. And that's what we're trying to do at, uh, Teen Walker. At the end of the day, we're just trying to create positive citizens so we can have positive results in our community.
1: You earlier stated that old teammates like Bobby and Danny have had success. This is a different type of success, Jerry. This is great. And, you know, you were also named to the Seton Hall Entrepreneur Hall of Fame in 2016. This past year, you were named Greenville's Neighborhood Alliance Humanitarian of the Year. So these are huge successes. How rewarding is it to you? To be recognized for these accomplishments.
0: Oh, it's such it's such it's gratifying. It's very rewarding. And here's my goal, guys. I have I have in my career, I accumulated two hundred and twenty three trophies. Okay, and and what I'm trying to do is accumulate humanitarian humanitarian awards. The same. Um, I have now collected, you know, twenty. So I got a long way to go. I got a lot of service to do out there. Um, you know, I I, I was the um, I also was named as a New Jersey hero by Mary Pat Christie, our former governor's wife. Uh, She had an initiative to shine a light on some people, extraordinary people that's doing extraordinary things in the state of New Jersey. So I'm I'm proud of that, and I'm trying to catch, uh, you know, my trophy number. So I got a long way to go, but I'm willing to put the time in. And I love it, and I love it. When you you see a kid that, that, that feel like they was hopeless at one point, but the light bulb come on, that, that when that when, when you see that in their eyes and they realize that they can learn, they can compete and they could be successful in this life, I mean that's 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 that that's worth millions to me. So I you know, I love what I do, um and, 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 and I and I'm doing it for the right reason. So and I want to make Seton Hall family proud too. I mean I'm a surrogate leader. Um I, I believe in that. I believe in the mission of Seton Hall and and and, I, and I'm just grateful for God giving me the strength to continue to, to do this sort of work and and I'm, I'm just happy, man. I'm just making, you know, I'm, I, we're making history here. We, we're doing a lot of good, and a lot of, a lot of kids are benefiting from it. And we do a lot more than just with the youth. We found the need to do stuff with their parents. We do GED programs. We do ESL, English-speaking programs. So we do farmer's markets. We do, you know, seeing bingo night here. We do movies for the seniors. So we, we got involved with a lot of different things. We do, like, weatherization programs where we help the families. Uh, with a PSE and G bill. So we do a lot of different things here. It's not only about the youth anymore because we got to do, you know, we got to have the whole body and the whole experience and in order for us to look for the success that we looking for. Everybody got to kind of like chip in. So we got to, you know, educate the parents and all that sort of stuff. So we're doing a tremendous job up here. We have a great staff, people that's committed, um, people that come to work every day and they enjoy it. Um, and, and, and that's half the battle is getting the right people in. So we, we, we appreciate um, all the support that we get from the Seaton Hall community. Um, I mean, I tell you, if it wasn't for the Seaton Hall community, I don't know where Seaton Hall could be at this point. So we, we're appreciative for that. And I, and I just love Seaton Hall, man. I believe Blue.
1: Jerry, you're well on your way to getting those 200-some-odd humanitarian awards. We're really... We really think so. Hey, before you take off, we make all our guests walk the plank. These are five rapid-fire questions we're going to ask you. We want five rapid-fire answers from you. No need to elaborate. You think, you, you think you're think you ready for this?
0: Let's do it, man. Come on. All
2: right. Question number one, what was your favorite win as a Pirate? Syracuse. Most intimidating venue you've ever played in? The Rack. Most talented player you have ever played against at any level in your career?
0: First day in the NBA, Michael George.
2: Who was the most hated opponent you faced at Seton Hall?
0: Rutgers University.
2: Who is the greatest pirate you have ever seen play in your lifetime?
0: Shaheem Holloway.
2: Bonus question. Does Miles Powell break Terry's record?
0: Yes
1: wow congratulations jerry you've walked the plank
0: (laughs) thank you guys appreciate you
1: jerry walker thanks for joining us on left coast pirates live
0: thanks for having me guys i appreciate it and uh go pirates
2: so if you've enjoyed this podcast please listen to our previous podcasts which include interviews with former players john yablonski donald copeland desi rodriguez and angel delgado For Tom Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates.